0: Chapter Seventeen Part Two of the Life of Harriet Beecher Stowe, compiled from her letters and journals by her son Charles Edward Stowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen Florida, eighteen sixty five through eighteen sixty nine. Part Two In a letter written in May of the following year to her son Charles at Harvard, Mrs. Stowe says, quote, I can hardly realize that this long, flowery summer, with its procession of blooms and fruit, has been running on at the same time with the snow-banks and sleet-storms of the north. But so it is. It is now the first of May. Strawberries and blackberries are over with us. Oranges are in a waning condition, few and far between. Now we are going north to begin another summer and have roses, strawberries, blackberries and green peas come again. I am glad to hear of your reading the effect produced on you by jonathan edwards is very similar to that produced on me when i took the same mental bath his was a mind whose grasp and intensity you cannot help feeling he was a poet in the intensity of his conceptions and some of his sermons are more terrible than dante's inferno in november eighteen seventy four upon their return to mandarin she writes quote, we have had heavenly weather, and we needed it, for our house was a cave of spider webs, cockroaches, dirt, and all abominations. But less than a week has brought it into beautiful order. It now begins to put on that quaint, lively, pretty air that so fascinates me. Our weather is, as I said, heavenly, neither hot nor cold, cool, calm, bright, serene, and so tranquilizing there is something indescribable about the best weather we have down here it does not debilitate me like the soft october air in hartford during the following february she writes in reply to an invitation to visit a northern watering-place late in the season quote, i shall be most happy to come and know of nothing to prevent i have thank goodness no serial story on hand for this summer to hang like an old man of the sea about my neck and i hope to enjoy a little season of being like other folks it is a most lovely day to-day most unfallen eden like in a letter written later in the same season, March twenty-eighth, 1875, Mrs. Stowe gives us a pleasant glimpse at their preparations for a proper observance of Easter Sunday in the little Mandarin schoolhouse. She says, It was the week before Easter, and we had on our minds the dressing of the church. There my two Gothic fireboards were to be turned into a pulpit for the occasion. I went to Jacksonville and got a five-inch moulding for a base." and then had one fireboard sawed into so that there was an arched panel for each end then came a rummage for something for a top and to make a desk of until it suddenly occurred to me that our old black walnut extension table had a set of leaves they were exactly the thing the whole was trimmed with a beading of yellow pine and rubbed and pumice stoned and oiled and i got out my tubes of paint and painted the nail holes with vandyke brown by Saturday morning it was a lovely little gothic pulpit, and Anthony carried it over to the schoolhouse and took away the old desk, which I gave him for his meeting house. That afternoon we drove out into the woods and gathered a quantity of superb Easter lilies, pawpaw, sparkleberry, great fern leaves, and cedar in the evening the girls went over to the meads to practice easter hymns but i sat at home and made a cross eighteen inches long of cedar and white lilies this southern cedar is the most exquisite thing it is so feathery and delicate sunday morning was cool and bright a most perfect easter our little church was full and everybody seemed delighted with the decorations Mr. Stowe preached a sermon to show that Christ is going to put everything right at last, which is comforting. So the day was one of real pleasure, and also I trust of real benefit to the poor souls who learned from it that Christ is indeed risen for them. End quote. During this winter, the following characteristic letters passed between Mrs. Stowe and her valued friend, Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes, called forth by the sending to the latter of a volume of Mrs. Stowe's latest stories. Boston, January 8, 1876. My dear Mrs. Stowe, I would not write to thank you for your most welcome Christmas box, a box whose sweets compacted lie, before I had read it and every word of it. I have been very much taken up with the antics of one kind and another, and have only finished it this afternoon. The last of the papers was of less comparative value to me than to a great fraction of your immense parish of readers, because I am so familiar with every movement of the pilgrims in their own chronicles. Deacon Pitkin's farm is full of those thoroughly truthful touches of New England, in which, if you are not unrivaled, I do not know who your rival may be. I wiped the tears from one eye in reading Deacon Pitkin's Farm. I wiped the tears, and plenty of them, from both eyes in reading Betty's Bright Idea. It is a most charming and touching story, and nobody can read who has not a heart like a pebble without being melted into tenderness. How much you have done and are doing to make our New England life wholesome and happy! If there is any one who can look back over a literary life which has pictured our old and helped our new civilization, it is yourself. Of course, your later books have harder work cut out for them than those of any other writer. They have had Uncle Tom's Cabin for a arrival. The brightest torch casts a shadow in the blaze of a light, and any transcendent success affords the easiest handle for that class of critics whose method is the one that Dogberry held to be odious. I think it grows pleasanter to us to be remembered by the friends we have, as with each year they grow fewer. We have lost Agassi and Sumner from our circle, and I found Motley stricken with threatening illness, which I hope is gradually yielding to treatment, in the profoundest grief at the loss of his wife, another old and dear friend of mine. So you may be assured that I feel most sensibly your kind attention, and send you my heartfelt thanks for remembering me always dear mrs stowe faithfully yours o w holmes to this letter mrs stowe replied as follows mandarin february twenty-third eighteen seventy six dear doctor how kind it was of you to write me that very beautiful note and how i wish you were just where i am to see the trees laden at the same time with golden oranges and white blossoms I should so like to cut off a golden cluster, leaves and all, for you. Well, Boston seems very far away and dreamy, like some previous state of existence, as I sit on the veranda and gaze on the receding shores of the St. John's, which at this point is five miles wide. Dear Doctor, how time slips by! I remember when Sumner seemed to me a young man, and now he has gone. And Wilson has gone. And Chase! whom I knew as a young man in society in Cincinnati, has gone, and Stanton has gone, and Seward has gone, and yet how lively the world races on. A few air bubbles of praise or lamentation, and away sails the great ship of life, no matter over whose grave. Well, one cannot but feel it, to me, also, a whole generation of friends has gone from the other side of the water since I was there and broke kindly bread with them. The Duchess of Sutherland, the good old Duke, Lansdowne, Ellesmere, Lady Byron, Lord and Lady Amberley, Charles Kingsley, the good Quaker, Joseph Sturge, all are with the shadowy train that has moved on among them were as dear and true friends as i ever had and as pure and noble specimens of human beings as god ever made they are living somewhere in intense vitality i must believe and you dear doctor must not doubt i think about your writings a great deal and one element in them always attracts me it is their pitiful and sympathetic vein the pity for poor struggling human nature in this i feel that you must be very near and dear to him whose name is love you wrote some verses once that have got into the hymn-books and have often occurred to me in my most sacred hours as descriptive of the feelings with which i bear the sorrows and carry the cares of life they begin love divine that stooped to share i have not all your books down here and am haunted by gaps in the verses that memory cannot make good but it is that love divine which is my stay and comfort and hope as one friend after another passes beyond sight and hearing please let me have it in your handwriting i remember a remark you once made on spiritualism i cannot recall the words but you spoke of it as modifying the sharp angles of calvinistic belief as a fog does those of a landscape i would like to talk with you some time on spiritualism and show you a collection of very curious facts that i have acquired through mediums not professional mr stowe has just been wading through eight volumes of la mystique by gorez professor for forty years past in the university of munich first of physiology and latterly of philosophy he examines the whole cycle of abnormal psychic spiritual facts trances ecstasy clairvoyance witchcraft spiritualism etc etc as shown in the Ramish miracles and the history of europe i have long since come to the conclusion that the marvels of spiritualism are natural and not supernatural phenomenon an uncommon working of natural laws i believe that the door between those in the body and those out has never in any age been entirely closed and that occasional perceptions within the veil are a part of the course of nature and therefore not miraculous of course such a phase of human experience is very substantial ground for every kind of imposture and superstition and i have no faith whatever in mediums who practise for money in their case i think the law of moses that forbade consulting those who dealt with familiar spirits is a very wise one do write some more dear doctor you are too well off in your place down there on the new land your centennial ballad was a charming little peep now give us a full-fledged story mr Stowe sends his best regards and wishes you would read Gorez it is in french also and he thinks the french translation better than the german yours ever truly h b stowe writing in the autumn of eighteen seventy six to her son charles who was at that time abroad studying at bonn mrs stowe describes a most tempestuous passage between new york and charleston during which she and her husband and daughters suffered so much that they were ready to forswear the sea for ever the great waves as they rushed boiling and seething past would peer in at the little bull's-eye window of the state-room as if eager to swallow up ship and passengers from charleston however they had a most delightful run to their journey's end she writes quote, we had a triumphal entrance into the st john's and a glorious sail up the river arriving at mandarin at four o'clock we found all the neighbors black as well as white on the wharf to receive us there was a great waving of handkerchiefs and flags clapping of hands and cheering as we drew near the house was open and all ready for us and we are delighted to be once more in our beautiful florida home in the following december she writes to her son quote, i am again entangled in writing a serial a thing i never mean to do again but the story begun for a mere christmas brochure grew so under my hands that i thought i might as well fill it out and make a book of it it is the last thing of the kind i ever expect to do in it i condense my recollections of a bygone era that in which i was brought up the ways and manners of which are now as nearly obsolete as the old england of dickens stories is i am so hampered by the necessity of writing this story that i am obliged to give up company and visiting of all kinds and keep my strength for it i hope i may be able to finish it as i greatly desire to do so but i begin to feel that i am not so strong as i used to be your mother is an old woman charlie mine and it is best she should give up writing before people are tired of reading her i would much rather have written another such a book as footsteps of the master but all even the religious papers are gone mad on serials serials they demand and will have and i thought since this generation will listen to nothing but stories why not tell them End quote. The book thus referred to was Pogginuck People, that series of delightful reminiscences of the New England life of nearly a century ago that has proved so fascinating to many thousands of readers. It was published in 1878, and as Mrs. Stowe foresaw, was her last literary undertaking of any length, though for several years afterwards she wrote occasional short stories and articles in january eighteen seventy nine she wrote from mandarin to dr holmes quote, dear doctor i wish i could give to you and mrs holmes the exquisite charm of this morning my window is wide open it is a lovely fresh sunny day and a great orange tree hung with golden balls closes the prospect from my window the tree is about thirty feet high and its leaves fairly glisten in the sunshine I sent Pugganuk people to you and Mrs. Holmes as being among the few who know those old days. It is an extremely quiet story for these sensational days, when heaven and earth seem to be racked for a thrill, but as I get old I do love to think of those quiet, simple times when there was not a poor person in the parish, and the changing glories of the year were the only spectacle.' we that is the professor and myself have been reading with much interest motley's memoir that was a man to be proud of a beauty too by your engraving i never had the pleasure of a personal acquaintance i feel with you that we have come into the land of leave-taking hardly a paper but records the death of some of mr stowe's associates but the river is not so black as it seems, and there are clear days when the opposite shore is plainly visible, and now and then we catch a strain of music, perhaps even a gesture of recognition. They are thinking of us, without doubt, on the other side. My daughters and I have been reading Elsie Venner again. Elsie is one of my especial friends, poor dear child, and all your theology in that book I subscribe to with both hands. Does not the Bible plainly tell us of a time when there shall be no more pain? That is to be the end and crown of the Messiah's mission, when God shall wipe all tears away. My face is set that way, and yours too, I trust and believe. Mr. Stowe sends hearty and affectionate remembrance both to you and Mrs. Holmes, and I am, as ever, truly yours, H. B. Stowe about this time mrs stowe paid a visit to her brother charles at newport florida and continuing her journey to new orleans was made to feel how little of bitterness towards her was felt by the best class of southerners in both new orleans and tallahassee she was warmly welcomed and tendered public receptions that gave equal pleasure to her and to the throngs of cultivated people who attended them she was also greeted everywhere with intense enthusiasm by the colored people, who, whenever they knew of her coming, thronged the railway stations in order to obtain a glimpse of her whom they venerated above all women. The return to her Mandarin home each succeeding winter was always a source of intense pleasure to this true lover of nature in its brightest and tenderest moods. Each recurring season was filled with new delights in december eighteen seventy nine she writes to her son now married and settled as a minister in Saco, maine dear children well we have stepped from december to june and this morning is sunny and dewy with a fresh sea-breeze giving life to the air i have just been out to cut a great bunch of roses and lilies though the garden has grown into such a jungle that i could hardly get about in it the canas, the dwarf bananas, the roses are all tangled together so that I could hardly thread my way among them. I never in my life saw anything range and run rampant over the ground as canas do. The ground is littered with fallen oranges, and the place looks shockingly untidy, but so beautiful that I am quite willing to forgive its disorder. We got here Wednesday evening about nine o'clock and found all the neighbors waiting to welcome us on the wharf the meads and cranes and webs and all the rest were there while the black population was in a frenzy of joy your father is quite well the sea had its usual exhilarating effect upon him before we left new york he was quite meek and exhibited such signs of grace and submission that i had great hopes of him he promised to do exactly as i told him and stated that he had entire confidence in my guidance "'What woman couldn't call such a spirit "'evidence of being prepared for speedy translation? "'I was almost afraid he could not be long for this world. "'But on the second day at sea his spirits rose, "'and his appetite reasserted itself. "'He declared in loud tones how well he felt, "'and quite resented my efforts to take care of him. "'I reminded him of his gracious vows "'and promises in the days of his low spirits. "'But to no effect.' the fact is his self-will has not left him yet and i have now no fear of his immediate translation he is going to preach for us this morning the last winter passed in this well-loved southern home was that of eighteen eighty three through eighty four for the following season professor stowe's health was in too precarious a state to permit him to undertake the long journey from hartford by this time one of Mrs. Stowe's fondest hopes had been realized, and largely through her efforts Mandarin had been provided with a pretty little episcopal church, to which was attached a comfortable rectory, and over which was installed a regular clergyman. In January, 1884, Mrs. Stowe writes, quote, Mandarin looks very gay and airy now with its new villas and our new church and rectory. Our minister is perfect. I wish you could know him. He wants only physical strength. In everything else he is all one could ask. It is a bright, lovely morning, and four orange pickers are busy gathering our fruit. Our trees on the bluff have done better than any in Florida. This winter I study nothing but Christ's life. First I read Ferrar's account and went over it carefully. Now I am reading geeky. It keeps my mind steady and helps me to bear the languor and pain of which I have more than usual this winter. End, quote. End of chapter 17 Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana